Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast, presented by 13 Fishing Canada. Make your own luck. We're here to scratch that angling itch and talk everything fishing. Join us as we sit down with special guests from across the industry. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon Cater and Logan Lewis. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to our first ever bite. Uh, my name is Brandon, and I'm here with my buddy Logan. How's it going, Logan? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad. I'm just kind of pretty excited to get this rolling with you. I know we've uh, had this in the works for a while. Um, it was exciting to have our first guest sit down with us, and I think it's going to be a pretty pretty good episode. I think people are going to enjoy it. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I guess we may as well introduce our guest right now. Uh, for the first bite, we have Shana Hamilton. Uh, it's a very good interview, kind of get into things. Uh, she's a big advocate for the female anglers, so we kind of get into those topics. We talk about research, seeing as she's part of the, the Saskatchewan Sport Fish Research Group and, and whatnot, and just some really interesting topics that I think you guys will enjoy for our first ever bite. Yeah, absolutely, Shane. It was uh, fantastic to talk to you. But before we jump into that episode, uh, we just wanted to give a shout out to our episode sponsor, Lucky Bastard Distillers out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. We are all about supporting local, and this company makes some unbelievable products, uh, vodkas, uh, they make whiskeys as well, and other types of spirits. Uh, if you haven't checked them out, they are available in retailers across the province. Uh, if you love Caesars, you're going to want to take a listen to this. There are certain moments in life that really stick with you. This is definitely one of them. The thrill of the deal, my friends, is not a myth. Prohibition is over, Saskatchewan. Ask about LB's legendary Birmingham's Dill Pickle Vodka. After all, it's not a party until someone pulls out the pickle. Tours and tastings available. Call or stop by 814 47th Street East. And tonight, why not mix your Caesar with some lucky bastard? It's the one with the pickle in it. If you are looking for any quality spirits, vodkas especially, they do have a ton of options on their website at luckybastard.ca. Use our code WEEKENDWARRIORS. It'll be down in the show notes below uh, and you can save 10% off your order. They do ship Canada-wide, so be sure to check them out online and in your nearest retailer if you are from Saskatchewan. And without further ado, here's Shana Hamilton from the Saskatchewan Sport Fish Research Group. Thank you for having me. So I guess just to start off, I think it'd be a good idea if we could get you to introduce yourself, kind of where you're from, uh, your, your background, and kind of how you ended up where you are today with, with everything you got going on with school and whatnot. Yeah, that sounds good. So I grew up in the southeastern part of Saskatchewan. Um, I grew up in a hunting family. I actually did not really get into fishing until I was well into my university undergrad degree. Um, but definitely grew up with just a passion for the outdoors, um, that drive to to be out as much as I possibly could. Um, and the focus was just more on on the hunting side. And so I knew pretty early on that I wanted to work with animals and specifically wildlife in, in some form or another. So I ended up deciding on doing a biology degree to be a scientist. And that took me to the University of Regina, where I've been for the past seven years now. So I started off in an undergrad biology degree, and I had an area of concentration in ecology and environmental biology, which essentially just means that I took a specific set of classes that were ecology focused to get my biology degree, as opposed to something more like pre-med. And while I was in 
university, I had four different summer jobs. They were all fantastic. I started out in the wildlife side of things um, where I had a, some summer student jobs working with endangered species and habitat conservation. Um, so I worked with piping plovers, burrowing owls, um, loggerhead shrike, all sorts of, of different species in the province. And then I started to realize that wildlife jobs in Canada are extremely competitive. Um, you almost almost need like a PhD minimum to, to even kind of be considered for some of those positions. And so I decided I wanted to shift focus away from wildlife a little bit more um, and focus on a different area. And so I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be. My next summer job was working with a research lab at the U of R that did research on bats in the province. And so specifically, I was working on a bat and wind energy project. So I got to catch a whole bunch of different bat species, um, which was really cool. But I am not a night person. Um, <laughs> I like to sleep when it's dark. And so having to work from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. did not fit my lifestyle at all. Um, so I very, very quickly exited. <laughs> yeah. So and then after after the bat work, I had agreed to do a one semester research project with my current supervisor, Dr. Chris Summers, who's a professor at the U of R. He's also the leader of the Saskatchewan Sporefish Research Group. And it was basically, um, I wanted to get a fisheries job that, that whole time because I figured I'd really like it. It just hadn't happened. So I decided to do a research project on it as like a way to get experience. And I ended up absolutely loving it. Um, we did a research project on winter tagging of yellow perch on Buffalo Pound. Um, and so that was actually how the winter tagging portion of, of the group got started. Yeah. So I guess I can just, I'll mention we had some technical difficulties. Now we're back on track kind of thing. And then, so I guess you were, you said that you were kind of around how, how you first started with the research group. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, so I, I took on that, that winter tagging project um, to kind of get some experience with fisheries, and I ended up really falling in love with fishing and angling specifically. Um, I hadn't honestly really done it that much before that point, um, but I started to not only do it for work, but also um, pick up angling in my, in my free time as well. I think that's a okay. pretty common thing, right? Like a lot of people um, that haven't fished before give it a chance or you know, somebody asks them to go fishing, they, they go fishing thinking, it's, oh, this is going to be boring. And then they do it and they're like, oh my God, like, I really like this. Like, this is pretty cool. Oh, base definitely. Like, I basically didn't really have anybody in my friend circle or my family circle that was a big angler. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have any access to it, essentially. And then by by joining the the research team there and doing, doing research with them, it kind of gave me the access. And then I also met new people and made new friends who who were into fishing and that kind of just catapulted it really yeah and nice. that's that's a big thing i mean that's kind of how logan and i met too right through fishing um yeah there's there's so oh, many yeah. different avenues that fishing can take you um it's just a matter of giving it a chance and then seeing where where it goes definitely and just people being willing to to you know like talk with with people who are new or you know give them advice give them tips or even just take new people out type thing i think that's huge so so i guess it was you were mentioning before we had the troubles there that it was kind of when you came on that the the winter tagging kind of started 
Yeah, so the the Saskatchewan Sportfish Research Group um, primarily focuses on mark recapture tagging, um, which is just a scientific term for we put some unique code on the fish, and we do we do that using a tag, um, and then you study them long term. So okay. I joined the lab in 2017. Um, they had been doing this tagging at tournaments previously. Um, for the past two years prior, um, but they hadn't done any tagging um, at all during the winter field season. And so we kind of used my project as a way to get some fisheries research experience for me, but then also to be a pilot for winter tagging to see, you know, like what kind of safety equipment do we need? It's a whole different suite of variables to deal with, including ice and cold and all that kind of stuff. And yep. so we, we really wanted to see, you know, like, is this feasible from a research perspective? And then what are the different kinds of questions that that can open up about our data set? Okay. So, so basically to get on, or not to get on the team kind of thing, but to become part of that research group, you have to be kind of bringing in your own research topic. Is that how it kind of works? So the, the research topic is decided on between the student and the supervisor. Um, to be um, on the sport fish research group, you do have to be a university student um, to join up. Unfortunately, we're not at a point where we can train anglers externally to get us to tag. I know other places do that with like sturgeon in BC and stuff. And um, I also know in the East Coast, they have some, some people... Ch- trained up there um there's just a lot of red tape that we run into on our end to get that process going um i personally would love to see that happen i just don't know how realistic it is right now right yeah so this is so i guess when you look at the other people that are also in the group this isn't uh this isn't something that like you're taking a biology 400 kind of thing and then now you're part of the research group like you basically you have kind of some area of study or area that you're focusing on that kind of pulls you into the group? Yeah, so so my my first experience with the research, the, the winter tagging, was actually for an undergrad course, um, and it's specifically called Independent Research in Biology. So it's a one-semester course where you and your supervisor, um, your supervisor has to agree to take you on, and then you decide on a one-semester research project. Um, and so mine was um, the basically the, the behavior and, um, oh gosh, the Okay, scratch that part. <laughs> uh, and so my research project was essentially looking at Asian growth structure of yellow perch through the angling, um, winter angling scope. So that's how I got started in the lab. Um, how I've continued in the lab was I transitioned um, from once I finished my undergrad degree, which was the next semester, um, I did start my master's in the lab. And so as part of my agreement for doing the master's, I also work um, with the, the tagging program. Okay, sweet. So you have to be a student to be part of the sport fish group? Yes, yes, okay. you do. See, I think that's one thing that, that I didn't realize. So I think that's uh, that's a that's a cool twist, but yeah, I definitely agree with you that it'd be super cool to be able to externally train um, anglers to you know tag fish and and be a part of that group as well in the future. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of a cool behind the scenes things I didn't know. Yeah. So any anybody you see like on on our Facebook page or anything like that, um, they're all students of, of various capacities. So sometimes we have undergrad students who are only there for a semester. Um, almost all of the master's students in the lab work on this. And then um, Dr. Summers, the professor, is kind of the one constant. So 
um, he is kind of the sole person in charge. And then we just all kind of work um, and help out wherever we can. A lot of us are actually people who angle in our free time and genuinely enjoy the work. So we're very quick to volunteer for for any tagging efforts that, that need to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously a big plus. But yeah, right now there isn't... Um, a student that's tied to the tagging program. So it's not just for one single thesis or anything like that. It's really a long-term project. So Shane, I guess one of the big questions I had was, um, how do you report uh, a tag fish if you were to catch one with a tag in it? And kind of what do you guys do with that information? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's kind of some key pieces that we absolutely need when you're reporting a tagged fish. And then there's some optional data that you can choose whether or not you'd like to submit. Um, So first off, we need the tag number, which every tag has a unique number on it. Um, And we also need the color of the tag. If you catch a tagged fish, there should be some sort of contact information on the tag. over time, they do get some algae buildups, so you might have to scrape it with your fingernail, but it will be on that tag of who to contact because um, okay. there are others that, that tag other than just us in the province. Um, so first of all, we need the tag number. We need the tag color. We need the species that you caught um, and where you caught it, so which water body. Um, and then after that, some optional information. Um, you can tell us if it, that fish was kept or released, um, which you do not have to release tagged fish by any means. Um, I think there there is a little bit of a bias where people are more willing to release a tagged fish than yeah. um, not tagged fish of the same size. Um, so you definitely are more than welcome to keep it if you like. We just would like to know if that fish is still out there swimming or not. Um, you can also send any growth um, or metrics or information. So anything like lengths, weights, um, circumference kind of if that's something that you take um and then also pictures we do love to get pictures from people um if you want to tell us what you caught it on uh the gps location of where you caught it that's obviously not required at all but it can kind of help us pinpoint how far it sends you the waypoints (laughs) yeah we we, i promise we don't share them um (laughs) yeah so i mean we might take a look at them and we might do a cruise by but no i'm just i'm just kidding um Yeah, so that's essentially um, what we're asking for to report them. Um, If you catch one of our tags, it gets reported to chris.summers at uregina.ca. But once again, that contact information is on the tag. And then in terms of questions, um, market capture is a long-term study, so it does take time to build up enough data to start answering um, the, the trends and, and looking into what we can actually see. And we're kind of just starting to approach that that point um, in this project. So we're very close to hitting 10,000 tagged fish, um, oh, wow. which is fantastic, spread out across Saskatchewan water bodies, um, primarily targeting lakes that have tournaments on them, just because that's how this tagging program got started. It was very yeah. heavily reliant on tournaments. So with that, um, definitely some, some questions that you can answer are um, things like, um, what is the probability of being recaptured as, as a fish? And does that vary across the species? Does that vary by size? Um, are certain individuals more likely to be recaptured than others? Um, we do take note of any injuries or stressors. Um, so if there's signs of aerotrauma, if there's signs of field bleeding, if there's a hooking injury. Um, so in the future, we'll be able to say, do any of those um, potentially impact the, the, the likelihood of being recaptured? Yeah. 
Um, we can't ever prove that a fish is dead unless it literally washes up short with the tag still in it. Um, but that can kind of give us some insight into how much of an issue those those stressors can be. The other thing we look at is um, seasonality. Um, so does a fish tagged in the winter get caught in the summer and vice versa? And we already have some preliminary results that they do. Um, so, you know, these fish are contributing to multiple angling seasons. Um, we can look at recapture locations. So how far did they travel from where we tagged them originally? Um, how long of a period does it take for them to, to get recaptured? Um, sometimes fish are recaptured the next day. Sometimes they're not recaptured for over three years yeah. and then all of a sudden they just appear. So, so yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff with that. Um, when we have growth data, we can start to look at um, some kind of growth trends. So how much on typically are fish growing each year um, in the different size classes. Um, for a while, we were taking some aging subsets um, for a different research projects. So we were able to, to correlate um, age and length with some lakes. Um, you can look at harvest rates. Um, so, you know, is there certain sizes that are more likely to be harvested than not? Um, and across species, once again, with all of that, um, there, there are so many questions that you can start to answer once you get all the data in. It's just this type of research, it takes a long time to get enough data to answer those questions. Um, so you're looking kind of on the order of like 10 years to, okay. to really be able to, from a science perspective, to start answering those questions. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, that's something that a lot of people don't understand is is the time that it takes to actually put this data together to actually give um, an accurate you know solution or um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Scientist. Yeah, there, there's a very big difference between a scientific finding and an observation. Yeah. We there can observe go. things and observe trends, um, but to to actually determine if that's what hap that that is what's happening scientifically is a much different process. Um, I'm sure most people are familiar by now that any of the the academic papers or scientific papers that are published or peer reviewed, um, that's a process that can take over a year just to go through, um, and it's just kind of that reassurance that. It, none of the data was fudged like this is actually what they found it's verified by other industry perf like leaders um that this is this is a valid result and contributes to to our knowledge on the science so there is a whole process with that and unfortunately i think that also creates a little bit of a disconnect between when the data is actually collected as opposed to when the information becomes available through these research um journals and then there's also the issue of most of those journals being behind a paywall. And so that's where science communication can be a really big factor. It's something that I personally am very passionate about. Um, I got into biology because I saw the angler and hunter frustrations and yeah, I understood yeah. science, the decision making behind it. And I could see how they were both fighting for the same thing, but using different words and terms and not able to understand each other. And when you're able to be that in between and explain both sides in the language that each side understands, you can kind of mend that, that, that disconnect and you realize you're fighting for the same thing. Um, you just have to be able to understand each other. Um, so for me personally, that's, that's a big reason why I'm, I'm very vocal around these kind of topics is that um, I know that once we start communicating with each other, 
anglers and managers want the exact same thing. And it just is going to take a little bit of understanding and somebody to, to kind of do the translating to, to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the sport needs people like you um, and the, in the sport fish research group to, you know, make sure that these fisheries are um, sustainable and, and, you know, are going to be providing a, a healthy ecosystem for years to come and generations um, to come to enjoy. And, and I think there's a lot of interesting topics um, that a lot of people don't necessarily know about our fisheries right here in Saskatchewan. Exactly. Yeah. And I think another vital point is that this mark recapture study isn't possible without the participation of anglers. If anglers weren't out there sending in their recapture reports, we would never be able to to have the data set or answer these questions. Um, so it's it's a two-way street. Um, anglers have just as much information to give as scientists have to give back. And that really ties into that conversation of, I believe every angler is a scientist. There's just a little bit of differences in whether or not you write your, your observations down and how you approach um, the learning aspect of it. Yeah. And that's where I think you come in huge as well with the research and is another reason I thought you'd be good on the podcast is that you are able to relate it to us non-scientific people you're able to make it make sense basically. So we can kind of connect the dots and understand the findings that you guys do get through these kind of research programs. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Anglers, you're all just playing with animal behavior. Um, I just happen to study it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you hear that everybody listening? You're a scientist. Gotcha. Right. So I guess, I guess that you mentioned the, the thesis there. Um, I guess I know a little bit about yours, but for the people listening, what was yours focused on there? Yeah, so I am just at the tail end of my master's degree, so I'm in the writing stage of my thesis. Congratulations, um, but I... by the way. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Yeah, so when I when I joined the lab as a master's student, um, I joined in 2018, which was coincidentally the same year that Prussian carp were discovered in Saskatchewan. And for people who aren't familiar, Prussian carp are an invasive species of carp um, that were only discovered in North America in the early 2000s, and they were introduced into Alberta. Um, and so in 2018, they were found in a significant population size in a small lake by Lake Diefenbaker. Um, it's called Stockwell Lake. And they had already made it that far inland, um, basically undetected and established themselves. And we knew essentially nothing about them in a North American context. Um, they're very invasive throughout most of continental Europe, and they're native to Asia and Eastern Europe. But from a North American's perspective, there was actually only three papers published when I started my research on Prussian carp, so we really don't know much about them in terms of how they interact with our ecosystem and our species of fish. Sweet. I think uh, I think one thing that I definitely had a bone to pick with that we've talked about before <laughs> is, can you please explain the difference between a Prussian carp, a common carp, and a big mouth buffalo for the I people who seem to know that. on Facebook? 
<laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, part of part of my thesis, I did run a citizen science program um, that will be continuing with the grad student who's taking over from me. Um, but we asked anglers to submit photos um, if, if they thought they caught a Prussian carp. And we expected that there was going to be some identification challenges. Um, obviously, not everybody out there is a trained fisheries biologist with ID courses and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think we also maybe underestimated a little bit where that average level was. Um, so that also created some really unique opportunities um, for us because we saw a real area to um, start educating people on just some basic fish identification skills. So for Prussian carp, common carp, and big mouth buffalo was the other one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the biggest difference is going to be size and barbells or whiskers. Um, so Prussian carp are very, very small fish. Um, they are super closely related to goldfish. Consider them kind of cousins um, in that sense. So you will not get a Prussian carp that's bigger than like three pounds and probably no bigger than about 55 centimeters, um, which is kind of close to that, that 20 inch mark type thing. So if it's any bigger than that, you can almost guarantee that you're not dealing with a Prussian carp. Um, common carp and big mouth buffalo, on the other hand, do get over that size range. Um, so you're much more likely to be dealing with one of those two species when you have a larger fish. So they're all part of the same family, which is the Saprinidae family. They're all carp. Um, but the other difference that you can tell them apart is barbells or whiskers in the corner of the mouth. So common carp have barbells. Prussian carp and big mouth buffalo do not. The other kind of way to differentiate between common carp and big mouth buffalo is that they have solid black eyes. Big mouth buffalo do, common carp don't. So that's one, definitely one way you can tell them apart. And then I, I, I'd have to double check this, but I believe there's also some difference with the fin, the dorsal fin shape between common carp and big mouth buffalo. Yeah, I'll okay. have to, I'll have to send you a picture because um, my first time out on the ice this season, I went out with a buddy. And, you know, he's reeling it in, he's, you know, it's pulling drag, he thinks he's got a big walleye, and uh, he pulls it up onto the ice, and I swore it was a carp, but it almost kind of looked more silvery, and we both weren't sure what it was. I think it was a big mouth buffalo, but I'm not positive. So, okay. there definitely is a little bit of uh, difficulty distinguishing, you know, between the the species there. So, like, I had yeah. never seen one, you know, I've never seen a buffalo mouth a big mouth buffalo uh, prior. So, I mean, for yeah. me, and it was what, hard what to lake were you guys on? We were on Pasqua Lake. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's another part. Um, big mouth buffalo are only in the Coppell chain. Um, okay. And then Prussian carp right now, um, as far as we've determined through my research, is only in the South Saskatchewan River system. Okay. Um, so, there really shouldn't be much overlap. That obviously can definitely chain if change if Russian carp ever get into the Coppell chain. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, there is a little bit of a geographical um, barrier between the two. Okay. So it was a big mouth buffalo, basically, is what you're telling me. Most likely. Um, definitely send me the picture, though, because I, I love to help people with fish identification. I'll, I'll do the best that I can to help you out. Um, we also have a, four different species of sucker in the province. Yeah. And one yeah. species that is considered a carp sucker. <laughs> um, oh, so well, there there, there's a lot more species out there than than your typical sport fish, um, so to say. So I think so. Sorry. I think sorry, that's, but... an, that's another thing, too. Right. So, a lot, you know, a lot of anglers um you know to them there's there's only you know the walleye the perch the pike and then yep. you know if you had you know Thief and baker you got your rainbows and 
whatever. But typically, it's it's those three common species: the you know the the walleye, the perch, the pike. There's a lot of species in this province. Yeah, there. Twenty-seven. I think if you include, uh, it depends on how how detailed you want to go. If you include all of the minnow species, there's quite a few more. Um, I think, yeah, like 27 or 28 are considered catchable by rod and reel. Yeah, so that's outstanding. Like, in my eyes, that's outstanding that somebody could travel around our province right here in the prairies and potentially catch 27 different fish. And that the majority of them are relatively unknown by anglers as well. Exactly. So I got a bone to pick that grinds my gears. Um, the big mouth buffalo is pr- considered protected, right? Yes. Okay. So all I have to say is for the people <laughs> online, if you're going to tell someone Uh-oh. to kill a fish, make sure that you can identify it. Not that you should even be killing it because that's also illegal just to waste it. But if someone uploads a picture of a big mouth buffalo and you're se- telling them it's a common carp and tell them to throw it on shore, that ain't right. That's just my bone to pick. I see it to way too much. You and don't, want, you don't want to get on Logan's bad side. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm scary. Scary guy. <laughs> no, I, I thought that's a really good point. Um, Obviously, everyone is concerned about invasive species and their potential impact on our fisheries and on our, our desired species. Uh, but identification is a really key aspect of that, because if you if you aren't confident in your in your proper identification, you could be removing native species um, that really are supposed to be there and are an integral part of the ecosystem. So um, definitely, if you have ID questions, reach out to people who have some experience. There's nothing wrong with asking for a second opinion. Um, I know I'm more than happy to help out with things like that. Um, and yeah, we definitely want to be aware of invasive carp in our province, um, but just don't be so quick to um, just get rid of them all. <laughs> that was a much nicer way of saying what this, I just said. <laughs> this is this is a little like off topic away from like the the big mouth buffalo and carp. What I am curious, Shanna, what are your opinions on Cisco or Tulabi? Because there's been numerous times that I've gone out to a lake around Regina here, um, and there's just <laughs> a pile of tulipy and you know people are catching them and they're just piling them on the ice and just letting them die so you know people say oh there's worms in them or they're they're hurtful to to our fisheries or um but then you hear people saying no they're absolutely crucial to our fisheries um you know these fish eat them yada 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 so what what's your take on the cisco or the tulipy that's a really good point um i am definitely personally team um they are an important part of our ecosystem um obviously they're they're not a fish that people are necessarily going to target to eat um but just because you don't eat them doesn't mean they don't also serve the ecosystem a benefit um i think a lot of it is you can catch a lot of cisco out on the ice when you feel like you should be catching walleye instead um and i think that can maybe lead to a sense of there's some sort of overpopulation or they're just super abundant and so it's not going to matter if I toss these on on the ice to die because there's so many of them because I catch them so often. 
um, when actually we know very little about the population structure of Cisco, um, like especially in the in the chain lakes and in there. So we have actually started tagging them um, to start to try to learn a little bit more about them. Um, oh, wow. And so far we we've tagged a decent number and we have not had a recapture yet. So oh, really? it could be that populations are very high, um, but Cisco are considered a major prey source for walleye. And you often see them in the lakes that are associated with trophy-sized walleye. Um, and by trophy-sized, I mean kind of that eight pounds and above. Um, yep. Definitely, they are a food source for walleye. I think a lot of the, the things, too, is that in Saskatchewan, we get very, very large Cisco. Um, Tulibi is interchangeable there. Um, you actually don't see that in other parts of North America. Cisco in um, eastern Canada stay very small and kind of never reach that kind of small whitefish size um, that we see here in the province. So yeah, there's a little bit of a different ge geographical reason there. And so we catch the large ones on rod and reel, um, but it's really those small ones that, that are feeding the basis of the food chain. You just don't catch them. Yeah. You hear a lot of guys, um, you know, that do catch the smaller tulipy, maybe are keeping them and using them for pike bait or um, something of that sort. But yeah, like, I mean, I even, uh, I was on Last Mountain Lake a, a couple weeks ago and uh, me and my buddy, we caught a couple big walleye, but leading up to those walleye, you know, I caught two or three tulipy. And I'm pretty sure I was, I was recording a video. I'm pretty sure I said in the video, I was like, oh, that's a good sign. There's tulipy here. There's got to be walleye. So thank you for confirming that. I, I wasn't positive when I said that. No, not a problem. Yeah, so it, it's definitely my opinion that um, they are beneficial to your lake. Um, like any fish, obviously, if there's some sort of really extreme population imbalance, um, that's an indicator of an ecosystem issue, but it's not that the species itself is necessarily an issue. Um, there's a whole bunch of different factors that, that can go into things like that, and that's what the fisheries managers do best um, to figure, figure that out. But yes, essentially... Cisco are good. It's illegal to waste fish. It's perfectly legal to keep it as tip-up bait. I personally, if I get a small enough one, I definitely do because you can catch some massive pike using Cisco as bait because they're a bait species. Absolutely. And like to go to a gas station and buy big, you know, herring or smelts, like it, it's expensive. So, I mean, if you're catching those smaller Cisco, those are probably your best bet. And it's going to save you a few bucks too. It's also the first a hot tip of source. the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We actually bring in something to the table. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say my personal opinion is unless the government has some sort of mandatory retention on a fish and you don't intend on using it for bait legally or eating it, what are you doing? Just tossing it on the ice or on the shore and just leaving it to die like that. That's, yeah. Kind of goes in with the whole carp thing too. I get that there's a different opinion on the carp and stuff like that than I might have, but I think that like the I've heard stories of that buffalo about burbot being left on the ice back like lots many years ago, kind of thing, just because people thought they were gross and stuff like that. Or and now they're find suckers on the ice. They're and, a target species. Burbot are a target species. People go. They're up, my favorite species. Yeah, they're your favorite <laughs> species. I know that, and it's like, what are you guys? Yeah. You know, three years ago, four years ago, you'd hear guys catching dogfish or burbot and it was the grossest thing or, oh my God, I was so just, I thought it was a big, big walleye the way it was fighting or 
and then they were disappointed. But now you go out and you you go out in the uh, the evening or for the night bite or camp on the ice or and people specifically target big burbot. Actually, I think the world record burbot I think is was caught in Diefenbaker by I think the con one of the Conrad brothers from Fishing Geeks. So you think correctly. You know what I mean? So I mean. Burbot are, are a target species, and not only are they a target species here in Saskatchewan, but Saskatchewan has some of the largest burbot in the world. Absolutely. We're built different. <laughs> yeah, and and I too, like my my advice to experienced anglers, new anglers, um, anyone who's just like, you know, you, you hear all the advice online from the different camps and you're just not sure what to do. Um, if you don't know, let it go. Take a picture of it, get a second opinion after the fact, but, you know, even if it is an invasive, as much as we want to remove them, um, in the grand scheme of things, unless it's something that's only been introduced one or two individuals, it's not going to be the make or break with that species getting away. Um, we definitely want to remove them as much as possible when we've identified them, but if you don't know, just let it go. Exactly, because even if, even if you, or I guess if you are wrong and you don't know, like I watched a thing from Meat Eater on the Big Mouth Buffalo that they have down in the States. And some of those fish were 80 plus years old and big gaps in between when they were reproducing and whatnot. So you might think that you're taking out one of the millions of common carp out here when really you're taking out one of those special Big Mouth Buffalo. And I guess not realizing that you're doing it, but that could, could cause some harm. Absolutely. Well... I think we've kind of covered that topic pretty well. Um, I guess one thing that uh, checking out your Instagram, sh underscore outdoors underscore, is the whole female angler scene and just, I guess, female outdoors scene kind of thing. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, sure. What do you want to know about it? I, I guess it's just it's not something you see a lot, but I think it is an awesome thing to see more and more of. And I think that's a great thing that social media has kind of brought forward is it's not just old grumpy men out on a bucket on the ice, or it's not just old grumpy men up in a tree stand waiting for a deer kind of thing. So I guess just talk about maybe some of the people you've met and things like that, or kind of what it's brought to you and your fishing and hunting. No, absolutely. I think you raise a great point. Um, it's no longer the the old grandpa game anymore, um, if I may be so bold as to say that. Um, I got into the hunting scene from a very early age. I started competitive archery uh, when I was pre-teens type thing. I've been shooting a bow since I was five years old, going to the 3D tournaments and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it really was just kind of a part of who I am. Um, and it still is to this day. And when getting into fishing, um, it was kind of the similar story of it was predominantly like male dominated, but we're definitely in a shifting period where more and more women are either seeking the opportunity to get involved or it's just become more accessible for them to get involved as well. Um, so we're seeing a real, a real kind of shift. I know in the archery world, after the Hunger Games movie with Katniss, uh, there was a huge upspike in the amount of girls and women who are getting into archery. Um, and I think just it's an industry trend in general. Um, women are probably the largest growing aspect of the outdoor demographic right now because they traditionally haven't been included in that. So you get the entire age range of people who are getting into it. 
I think, yeah, and right. So like like your uh, reference to The Hunger Games and, and how that movie had an effect on archery, um, that's kind of the effect that social media is having, I feel I feel like, on the industry and, and women in the industry. And, I mean, obviously we want to see it. We want to see more more and more of that in every industry, right? And we want equalization everywhere. Um, but you hear so many people saying how negative social media is and don't get me wrong there's a ton of neg- negativity and, and internet trolls and stuff on social media but social media has definitely brought women in fishing um a long ways in the last two three four five years um you, you know what social media has brought fishing in general a long way um it's you know fishing used to be like you said the old man sport or the boring sport but now um, with younger, um, a younger generation, uh, females, and all the photo and video and, and, you know, YouTube, it's cool, right? Everybody's making fishing look so cool. And it's, it's cool to catch and release fish and, and catch, um, you know, species that you've never caught before and, and show that on social media and, and just be a part of an industry that is, is so uh, diverse now. Absolutely. And kind of a a personal goal of mine has always been just to kind of be an example that it is possible for you to be a five foot three female and set up your own shack and drill your own holes. And yeah, you might have to figure out some tricks and uh, make some things work for you that, um, you know, are easy for for people who are stronger, but it's definitely still possible. and the other thing, too, is that there is a community of, of females who are out there who love the outdoors just as much as as the other anybody else does. Um, and social media is, the I think, one of the best ways to to find that community, because often uh, we like to be outdoors. We tend to be quite rural um, yeah. and spread out across the entire continent. Um, and so through social media. Um, some of the the girls in the in the hunting and fishing world that I talk to most, I've never met in person. They're all found through online friendships, but they're so supportive. Um, they're so encouraging. They're just so excited that other women are getting into it. Um, and it's definitely something I feel as well. Like you get so excited when you see another girl out there and it doesn't matter if she caught her PB walleye and it's only 12 inches. Like you're just so pumped because you know what that feeling is like. And on the other end, too, is that women do sometimes get criticisms or creepy messages and kind of other things. You also know what it takes to stay in it as well. So there's kind of that little bit of an added um, layer where we do have to kind of weed through and, and block some people um, to, to maintain our, our little spot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the people doing that, don't be that guy. <laughs> and I can tell you from first-hand knowledge that Shada can come out and kick it just as well as anyone else can. Like the day we went out, it didn't kick it seem or kick it your ass. Well, she could do that too. <laughs> but like that day, that day we went out ice fishing there. It's not like it was anything different. Like I was, I was saying to Justin that we were with there, like lots of times when you do take a girl out, it's you're, you're doing a lot more than just worrying about yourself. Right. But like, not that we expected that from you. Cause we knew kind of knew what to expect coming from you just from, from your content and stuff like that. And I was like, that was just like being out there with another one of the guys kind of thing, which was, and it was awesome. Like I had a ton of fun that day and, and it, it didn't seem different at all, which it, it shouldn't seem different, but 
I think people tend to think that just because you're out there with a girl, especially in a male dominated kind of thing that they think it's going to be different, but it wasn't at all. So I think that's a great point that you bring up, Um, you know, for for the guys out there who maybe want to get their girlfriend or their wife into it or their daughter or, you know, just a friend that's expressed interest, but they don't really know how it's going to work because they're a girl and like, ugh cooties anything else I think. Um, oh my it God. doesn't have to be any different um you don't have to hold our hands and you know hold our hair or anything like that to have us be out there fishing if we want to we're gonna do it um you can offer for you know some of the kind of traditional things like you know lugging the sled all the way out there I mean we can probably hold our own but it's it's always nice to offer if you're not sure um I think one of the biggest things that I've figured out um is we we as women tend to be very cold um so (laughs) that might (laughs) men too there's definitely I got a lot of messages actually after saying um excuse me I am a man and I get super cold too so I think it's it's a human problem but it it kind of seems to come up a little bit more that it that it's a girl thing um but in if that's the case you know like maybe you set up the shack and if you don't want to if you don't want to fish in the shack don't fish in the shack but like she might be that might be what it takes to get her out that first little bit but as she gets invested and interested in it and you know upgrade some gear get some base layers heat warmers um it's she'll she might just be out there just as much as you are and before you know it you'll be whole hopping all day across the entirety of last mountain lake catching bigs <laughs> exactly yeah well, that's the that's the thing that's different is with with you it's if you wanted to you'd go out by yourself right or yeah. lots of those other girls that you're talking about that you've met online kind of thing they will go out by themselves and that's where i think that's where things are changing for the better too right like usually it's it's a guy accompanied by his girlfriend or something like that. But with the fact that you actually go out by yourself if you wanted to, I think is a, is a huge step in the right direction too. For those and I think just typically for, for women entering a male dominated industry, there's a lot of intimidation um, that goes into it. So there's a lot of not necessarily knowing what to do or what to get. Um, and there is sometimes when we reach out, we get the like, oh, why don't you just get your dad to pick this out for you? Or like, why, do, why don't you just get your husband to, to do that instead? Um, there can be kind of some backlash that can be discouraging. I think that's changing um, positively for the better that people are much more approachable. Um, there's also some different kind of quote unquote celebrity figures, um, you know, like the girlfriends and the wives of the big YouTube people are all super friendly and more than willing to, to answer questions. And so as a woman, you may not feel comfortable approaching um, like Jay, but you might feel approachable sending Sam a message because you feel like there's some sort of connection there. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, like you're seeing it more and more, like all these big YouTubers and, and these channels, like they're great people. They're, you know, if you shoot them a DM and you have a question, if you're new to the sport, um, they're very, very open to, you know, sending you a message back and, and kind of helping you out and, and, you know, for yourself, like, yeah, there's like, you know, Sam, like Jay's wife and, and, um, Nicole Stone. And there's so many females getting into the, the media side of, of things as well. Like there's so, so much opportunity in the industry for females. And absolutely. And, and the other thing I would say too, is that, um, it's, it's really easy to look at somebody's follower count 
and assume that because it's high, there's some sort of unreachable a celebrity figure. Um, some of the most helpful women I've reached out to have over 50,000 followers, but they still answer every DM, every question. Um, they'll even reach out to you and like say, hey, I saw your your picture, like way to go. Like, how'd your day go and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, you have this moment where you're like, wow, like this person is talking to me. Um, and then you remember, we're all just humans. Um, we're all people behind a screen and behind an account. Um, and for the most part, we're all pretty friendly too. So definitely, um, I'm always, always down to talk about fishing or hunting or anything outdoor related. And uh, it's just that that access thing, because there are more women putting their stuff out there on social media, there's more accounts to find, there's more people to ask questions to. Um, and it's just it's just getting a lot more approachable. Yeah, I, I think that's totally true. I I don't really think too much of, of the number of followers I have, and it might be more than average kind of thing, but to me, it, it doesn't make me think any... No, 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 I'm getting <laughs> to the point. I'm getting to the point. I'm just saying that I've had people, like I like you said, I, I answer every DM and stuff like that, and I, don't, I just figure there's no reason not to be nice kind of thing unless you come at me that way. But I've had people say like, oh, thanks so much for, for answering me and stuff like that. Like, oh, that's cool that you answered. I'm like... I'm like, honestly, it's it, that number, no matter what account it is, that number for who the person is doesn't really matter. Like it, you could, I, I don't know. It's just to me, I have had that too when I'm talking to bigger accounts as well or like a bigger YouTuber that you watch and stuff, you are you are nervous about it. But um, behind those numbers, there's just, it's just a person just the same as you. So it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be too scared, but everyone kind of is nervous when they are talking to those kind of things. I think it, what, it, what it comes down to is, you know, we're all, we all fish because we like to fish. We all are in the industry or trying to get into the industry somehow because we, we want to help other people enjoy it as much as we do and learn, you know, for me, it's about learning with everybody else. Like I am by no means, I have no idea what I'm doing half the time. You know what I mean? I <laughs> exactly. I'm just I just like to one take photos, make videos. I love to fish, and you know what? If I'm going to post something and I do something wrong, somebody's going to comment on that and say, "Hey, maybe do this next time," or "Hey, maybe use this knot next time," or something I didn't know. Right? Some you know, I'm just here to learn with everybody else. If I can help somebody along the way, or if somebody has a question, they slide into my DMs. That's exactly what i'm here for right it's just to learn yeah and don't be afraid to reach out because what's the worst that happens they don't answer right like that's so that some people are like that and that can happen but that's that's nothing that's that's just what it is kind of thing but um I, i'd say don't be afraid because that's how like i met Shayna through instagram at you brandon through instagram yep. like you never know where something could lead you kind of thing so yeah endless, absolutely endless opportunities yeah um so i guess we kind of went off on a little tangent about social media <laughs> yeah yeah little, definitely. Little rat. but that's I, what I, the conversation's about <laughs> i guess my final advice um for for people who maybe are interested in getting more female anglers into it um i th i think it's probably better to go for quantity over quality um, and by that, I mean, it's it's kind of the same with any new person you're introducing to angling. Um, but if you can get them on numbers as opposed to size, um, I am way more excited to go out and sit on my 
pale and catch 50 perch in a few hours and then head home. Um, it's a lot more daunting for me to want to spend 10 hours on Last Mountain Lake and maybe catch one eight pound fish. Like that's just less desirable for me. And that might just be me as a person individually too. Yeah. Um, but but definitely if, if you're thinking about wanting to to get that woman in your life into fishing, um, you know, get her on a get her on a good solid bite, get her hooked, and then you can have your fun with it after. Pun intended or no? <laughs> <laughs> oh not intended but now <laughs> but like even for me like for those of you that haven't listened to our intro episode um three years ago my girlfriend's the one that got me into ice fishing I had never ice fished in my life three years ago that's awesome right and you know what I you know we I met her and I you know had some situation where I had a um you know a winter activity kind of taken away from me and I need to fill some time so she introduced me to ice fishing and I thought, you know what? This is the dumbest thing ever. We're going to fall through the ice. This is scary as hell. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Got out there. You know, we didn't, I didn't have a sonar. I didn't have any ice fishing equipment, right? So it's like, we're sitting there and I was bored. And then all of a sudden, you know, she goes and grabs a camera and a sonar. And then that takes the interest level to, you know, it spikes it. You know, as soon as I could see marks on the sonar, or I could see a fish on the camera that got my interest and I was hooked automatically. So even like the other day, her and I went out and I have my sonar. She doesn't have one right now. So um, obviously, right. She's a little bit bored cause she has nothing really to look at. And um, I, you know, so I put my son, you know, she took my sonar from me actually put it in her hole and whatever I fished without the sonar, but she had a heyday. We had a heyday. She caught her first fish of the season. And, you know, it's just like the little things, to make it interesting right oh absolutely there there's nothing more exciting than having a partner who shares your outdoor interest and your outdoor passion um i'm the same way in my relationship um he's the ang more hardcore angler i'm the more hardcore hunter but we both kind of participate in each other's worlds and it makes it so much more fun because even if you're not catching you know if, if they get that catch or they get that pb it's it's just as exciting for you. So I think that's, that's probably a whole nother topic about having partners and spouses in, in, in fishing with you. Oh, I'm sure we could have a completely separate episode of, of love on the ice or something. <laughs> we, we can call that episode love on the ice. The love How to shack. get your significant yeah, dollar the, to come the fishing love with shack. you. The love shack. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. But yeah, like, well, is there any, I just, oh, sorry. sorry, I just wanted to touch because yeah, you were you were we were talking about women and social media and how there's a lot of women in the industry doing big things. Um, one of the companies that has kind of blown up, I don't know, in the last year here is uh, I think it's called DSG Women's Outerwear. And Shanna, you had some connections there with that company and and kind of what they got going on there. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Like, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So um, DSG, if people aren't familiar with it, is a female owned small company that's based out of the States. Um, and they they started off in uh, snowmobiling gear. Yep. Um, so snowsuits designed for women in that area. Um, then they expanded into the women in the hunting area. And most recently, last winter, they started with their ice suits for women. Um, if you're a woman looking for an ice suit, um, especially in the ice fishing world, you, you're kind of restricted to, to the three brands. Um, there's Striker, there is um, 
DSG, and I'm blanking on the other one. I think Eskimo and Clam both have women's suits, but, like, I think think there's only, like, one suit, whereas, like, you know, like, they have, like, three or four different male options and one women's suit, whereas DSG, I think, has multiple options, right, because they're just female-based. Yeah, so so that's kind of the key difference is that um, DSG is for women, designed by women. Um, They take into account a lot of the unique um, sizing and struggles that women come across when ice fishing um, because they they don't have that male line. Typically, if you have an ice suit from a different company, it's the male version, but maybe a smaller size and maybe a little bit of tailoring in the waist. But other than that, there's there's not much difference in the design. Um, I do use the the ice bib from last year. They did come out with a new version this year, which I know has some upgrades um, just because with it being their first year. Um, they they discovered some things that worked and and made some improvements on it. So yep. I can't wait to to start seeing the reviews from all the ladies about this year's ice suit. Um, but the biggest thing for me is that the ladies' bibs have a drop seat. Um, I'm talking the old fashioned pajama onesie butt flap. Um, <laughs> but as a woman, if you need to go to the bathroom on the ice in any other snowsuit, you're basically stripping from the waist down yeah and that gets really cold in some very sensitive areas yeah um so being able to keep your bibs on simply unzip the back you know you're still kind of covered so you don't have to like hike it all the way to shore to find a tree to hide behind anymore or like angle yourself between a door and a shack um it's a lot more manageable and a lot less cold i can't really speak from you know personal experience but i can only (laughs) imagine like you know what I mean? Like, it's just like the little details in those suits um, go a long ways, especially, you know, for female. There's female specific suits, right? So. Um, exactly. Yeah. Like a- another big thing is um, there's a very wide size range in women. I know there is for men, too, um, but we tend to be quite a bit on the shorter side. So they do have an adjustable inseam. Um, it's just a snap system, which makes it really easy, but yeah. it can fit kind of anybody from a five zero kind of up to basically, I think almost the six foot range. Um, they have some different tailoring in in terms of making sure that they fit. Um, our hips tend to be a little bit wider, so they give you a little extra room there. Um, there's an adjustable belt on, on the waist area because we can often have more hourglass figures. Um, so we need it to be a little snugger there to keep the heat in and everything. Uh, but yeah, no, they, they have great great products they they do come out with summer lines now too they made some awesome uv shirts that were like probably the softest uv shirts that i've i've found so far yeah um but yeah and then also just just because they are so female centric um all of their field staff members um pro staff field staff anything like that are all amazing women who are in the outdoor industry and so if if you're looking for that female community and you haven't found it yet um, just just go take a look through their page. There are so many women who I've met through that company um, that are just now some of the, the greatest friends that I have. Like we're planning fishing trips as soon as that COVID border <laughs> opens up and all that. So you and a lot so, of yeah, people. Yeah, no, there's some amazing girls. Yeah. And I think, right, that's how I heard about it, right, is uh, through social media, Instagram, influencers, field staff, um, that type of thing. Pretty much any, any female um angler that's on social media or you know in the industry i mean dsg is doing a good job of of you know getting their suits on on these people and and making sure that 
they're known as as a, a female specific company um, in all these awesome industries. You know, like you said, there's snowmobile suits, hunting, uh, and then ice fishing. I think I think those might be the yep. three. So. Yeah, no, they they do have a Canadian warehouse too, which is awesome. So you don't have to worry about the the duties for importing, and I they have they also have that. a really great customer service team. So well, there you go. DSG, yeah, I bet you DSG <laughs> <Sorry>. sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet uh, I bet the girls that tuned in because they heard Shane was on here didn't expect to get a whole whole outdoor wardrobe kind of breakdown there, but <laughs> that I think could they'll be, be another happy about episode. That. Yeah, exactly. It probably yeah. could be, honestly. I, I think I actually do have a sizing tutorial. I had so many girlfriends when I bought that first suit last year asking me tons of questions. And so I was like, instead of answering you all individually, I'm just going to throw it on Instagram. Um, and I think it's still in my highlights somewhere. So yeah, it, I don't know how well they apply to the new suits. But if, if you're looking for what I liked and didn't like about them, I think that is still up on my page. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. I'm sure we'll have more episodes with you as well because there's so much to talk about. So that could be definitely something that we we dive into in the future. But I think this is probably nearing an hour or just over an hour. So um, I guess it was there. Was there any last minute things that you wanted to to bring up? Um, yeah, for sure. So if, if you don't already follow the Saskatchewan Sportfish Research Group Facebook page, um, that's where you can go to find all of the updates um, on the science side of things. Um, definitely, um, we try to post kind of frequently. Um, there's fun pictures and cool stories. Um, so if you're looking on the science side, that's where you can find that. Um, you guys already mentioned my Instagram handle. If you're looking to, to find me personally, Instagram's probably the best place to do that. Um, and yeah, basically just, um, feel free to reach out anytime. Happy fishing, tight lines. Um, and I hope everyone has a happy holiday and great new year. Thank you. Thank you very much for being our very first guest here on oh, the Weekend Warriors podcast. That We're pretty excited about that. We, appre- no we problem appreciate at you taking the time to speak to us. Yes. Oh, not a problem. Thank you very much, Shana, for coming on as our first ever guest. Um, if any of you listeners have any ideas for who we should have on future episodes, be sure to shoot us an email or DM us and let us know. And if any of you are looking to add some quality fishing gear, whether that be ice fishing or open water, maybe you're looking to add some things to your spring and summer arsenal, be sure to check out 13 Fishing's website. The link will be in our show notes below. Um, Use our discount code WEEKENDWARRIORS and you can save 15% off of your entire order. Um, So be sure to check that out. And thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We really appreciate uh, the support that we've had. Uh, This is the first bite of many thanks for tuning in to the weekend warriors fishing podcast if you enjoyed the show be sure to leave a review on your favorite listening platform so we can reach more anglers just like you find us on facebook instagram and youtube for media updates and behind the scenes content